0: Presented by the Common Sense Policy Roundtable, welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright.
1: Welcome to the inaugural Common Sense Digest podcast, a monthly event we hope you will add to your schedule. My name is Earl Wright, and I am the chairman of the board of Common Sense Policy Roundtable. Thank you for joining us. Common Sense Policy Roundtable, or CSPR, is a nonprofit free enterprise think tank dedicated to protection and promotion of Colorado's economy. As our name describes, our mission is to research and promote common sense solutions for economic issues facing our state, Colorado. Too often, policy debates become mired in political spin and platitudes. We believe sound, fiscal, and economic research is essential to uphold Colorado's economic vitality, ensure its future, and individual opportunity within our state. We are launching these podcasts to provide facts and insights on the biggest issues facing our state. It's pretty simple. Democracy works with a well-informed electorate. The more you know, the more effective you can be when you engage in discussions, talk to elected officials, and cast your ballot. Every month, you have a chance to tune in as we cover topics ranging from paid family leave, energy, taxes, health care, and many more. Today's discussion is on one of the hottest issues facing state lawmakers. A proposed public option for healthcare. I'm joined today by two authors of the most recent CSPR study, which was released this month. Rick Rush is the managing partner and founder of the healthcare consulting firm JERIC, G E R I C K. And Rick is a healthcare actuary with over 30 years of experience within the industry, ranging from employee benefits, consulting at A.N. Hewitt and Towers Watson, to being a court-appointed rehabilitator and liquidator of insolvent HMOs, and most recently, Executive Director of Actuarial Services at Kaiser Permanente, Colorado. Chris Brown is the Director of Policy and Research with Common Sense Policy Roundtable. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining. Chris often does related economic impact analysis. We have several studies on our website commonsensepolicyroundtable.org. We'd encourage you to visit the site, uh, see the study with regards to the health state option that we're referring to today, as well as other studies that are there. But let's get started with regards to the state option. Let's start at the beginning. As health care is a huge, complex topic, what is the public option, Rick?
0: Thank you, Earl. In health I think we can think of a public option as a government introduction of a new transforming health insurance alternative. Uh, the objectives of public options, uh, whether it's done on a on a national or state basis, would be to decrease the number of uninsured and to lower health insurance premiums. In Colorado, last year, House Bill 191004 commissioned the state's division of insurance and the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing to develop an affordable health care coverage option for Coloradoans. In November of twenty nineteen, the Division of Insurance and Hicpuff Submitted their report to the legislature complete with recommendations. It's noteworthy to mention that at the time we're recording this podcast, uh, we have yet to see a bill introduced in the 2020 legislative session, uh, that would incorporate a public option or take the recommendations from the state. Re- recommendations that were not brought forward, um, last, as part of the, of the report included things like expanding Medicaid or having less administrative, uh, complexity and burdens for insurance companies. What, was brought forward with a public option, which we'll be spending more time talking about. Uh, they've taken several forms of public option design over the last several years. It's noteworthy in Colorado that the recommendations from the report is the state would not run a program. The state would use existing insurance companies, use the existing infrastructure, with the belief that they would make the programs more competitive, decrease premium levels, increase the number of, of, of folks that are insured in Colorado.
1: So if I'm an insurance executive, they will be telling me what kind of insurance program this state option should be that I should
0: be offering to
1: the public. Is that correct?
0: Uh, they will require the insurance companies to offer at least one design. That's the public option. They can offer alternative designs, but every insurance company, individual health insurance, has to offer uh, a pro- one of the in their portfolio a program of the public option. Okay. And
1: the whole idea is that that I, as an insurance executive, would be offering something. The state says. You should offer this program, and the idea is we're going to have more uninsured insured, and the cost is going to go down. That's the That's impact we're going for. Yep. All right, well, then, what's the public debate about? You know, what's going on down at the state
0: legislature? Um, by most measures or uh, most opinions, um, health care costs in, in, in Colorado and in the nation are rising at unsustainable levels. The, is that true? It's true from a standpoint that health insurance premiums are generally rising higher faster than wages, crowding out wages it's true that health insurance premiums uh are are rising higher than many business owners uh, have in the way of their increased performance and margins and so yes uh whether it's locally with with the high rise high rate of increases in health insurance programs but but also nationally the 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 lack the fact that we have employers that are burdened with health insurance costs. That put them in an uncompetitive position against uh, competitors outside of the US. And so, health insurance programs can make businesses very uncompetitive in, in, the, nas- in the international marketplace, as well as for employees, um, allow less than their paycheck for wages because the insurance costs continue to rise. Okay.
1: Well, let me, Chris, you've done a second study with regards to the uh, public option. Take us through that you know, timeline and you know, where's the proposal started? Where are we now? What's going on?
2: As, as you spoke about the beginning, Earl, I mean, our our goal is to uh, develop research, develop papers that give Coloradans, whether you're a voter, lawmaker, uh, business owner, uh, real you know information that's actionable and relevant to the public policy debate. We saw House Bill 10, uh, 1004 that Rick spoke of pass last year and try to understand what the potential ramifications of public option would be. As the state was holding stakeholder meetings during the summer. So there's no bill. As as, of, as, yeah. as Rick said, we have during this current session, we, we have do not have a bill to that specifically designs a public option. What we have uh, was what the state released late November of last year, which is the state's recommendations for what a public option Would look like. And so we released an economic impact analysis in September on a range of um, scenarios related to a potential public option. We saw the analysis that came out alongside the state's recommendation and thought that a lot of questions were not answered as it relates to the potential impacts. And so we followed up with this second study released just a few weeks ago. That poses those important questions that we believe can be answered and should be answered so that people can truly understand the full ramifications uh of the policy design and, and hopefully work towards something that doesn't create a lot of these unintended consequences we specify
1: okay well let's it, it, kind of drill down on unintended consequences uh, okay there's an underlying argument as to why we should have this option, the argument of Hey, we have uninsured, and we have people that are spending far too much of their, their income. Give us some data, if you would, as to are more people now going to be insured relative to, to the total population of uninsured? And how much are people spending of their income at the present time, Chris? And and uh, how much will this program, as they've got it outlined right now in our study, reduce the amount that they're spending? Is it significant? Is it
2: having the impact that this uh, whole effort's trying to resolve? To give you an answer I know you won't like, but uh, I think it will depend. I think it depends. And the way the state's proposal thus far, or their recommendations thus far, and the modeling that came alongside that, suggested that those that opt to buy the public option would save roughly between nine to seven, 15, 17% relative to what they would have paid for individual insurance. So yes, you'd see some that savings. That seems like a pretty good savings. There you go. And that savings would be enough to draw in roughly up to 5,700 Coloradans who are currently uninsured uh to buy the public option and be, and be covered. Well, Um, how
1: many people in total are uninsured in the state?
2: The number is right around, estimates are right around 350,000. So it's about 6.5%, around 6.5% of all Coloradans are currently uninsured. uninsured. And that 5,700 reduction is about 0.1%. Wait a minute.
1: You're telling me, so one of the major objectives is to take people who are uninsured and get them insured, and so we're talking about point one percent.
2: All right. Under the current modeling, yes.
1: Okay. And how about uh, for costs? What are we talking about there? We're talking about ten to fifteen percent of costs. And how much do people spend currently of their income? And
2: they're going to save ten or fifteen percent on that. It, there's there's quite a range. I, I think uh, on average we've tried to look at the amount of premiums relative to uh, income, and it ranges from. Uh Seven, eight percent, up to twenty-five, thirty percent in some parts of the state. So the savings would be like between ten and fifteen percent on that. If the program worked, we would
1: hope. That's right. So That's th- right. we're not talking about a whole lot there, are we? Uh, again, I mean, I, ten percent know, I think on thirty-three percent is three percent. Yeah. And ten percent on ten percent is you know, one percent. So there are some savings, of course, but it's not a great deal with regards to increased disposable income that individuals would
2: have. Is that fair? Yes, I mean your your math is is correct. I think that the thing that we like, I, I would like readers of the report to think through and focus on, are not just the extent to which the numbers, as they're currently outlined, might save some individuals. It's really the the mechanism of how you get there, and the mechanism is through setting rates for how much the public option would pay hospitals for their services and sets rate caps. Think of similar policy designs that you've heard of in rent control. And those policies create distortions, shortages within these markets because the policy does not fundamentally change the cost structure of providing that care. And so the economic impacts and potential unintended consequences are while you might deliver a savings to maybe a limited number, maybe a large number of Coloradans, existing providers, hospitals that are not seeing their cost structure change are faced with a decision of how to respond. And that could be. No, no,
1: I want to. I want to stop here for a second. Yeah, please. So Rick pointed out that we have specific things that we're trying to achieve. The under the uninsured, you just pointed out that wouldn't be very many people, and then we're paying. More than folks would like, but this wouldn't save all that much with regards to how much people are spending. A dollar is a dollar, but still percent of your income. Now, you're saying that what is being forced on the providers with regards to the, the way they will reimburse the providers could have unintended consequences. That's exactly right. Rick, can you go into the unintended consequences? You're the expert in the the medical arena. What are we talking about?
0: I'll address that, both the unintended consequences as a result of what's being forced upon the hospitals and then also what's forced upon the insurance companies. Uh, From a hospital standpoint... Overall, they'll have lower revenues. Depending upon how the uh, fees are set, some could do okay. Some may, may actually have higher revenues for certain services. But overall, the intent is to drive lower premiums by by driving lower hospital costs. Uh, we believe that things will change on, on the expense side for these hospitals. Uh, they may decide that they're not able to expand the way they were planning to expand. Uh, we may find that they may have to change their cost structure through salary and wages and services. They uh, may be able to take it out of their margins, um, but that may also not be uh, set a, a happy set of individuals that rely upon those margins. So so the hospitals, once again, they may find that uh, they have to change their business models and that uh, could have unintended consequences, likely would have unintended consequences to those who rely upon those services. On the insurance carrier side... Wait, Rick,
1: I want to understand this for a second. So if I'm cutting my insurance premium by 10% and I would go in now to the emergency room after the state option is there, just for simple, you know, example all the aggregate hospitals may have to charge 10% less on emergency service than they did before. Or if there's a surgical procedure or knee replacement or something like this, somehow they're going to have to figure, in the aggregate, figure out how to charge 10% less if they're going to maintain their profits. Correct. But if they're not going to maintain their profits, then they're just going to have 10% less in profits or something in the range of 10% less in profits which means they have less to reinvest in, into their facilities or whatever. So there is a cost here that you're referring to. Am I expressing this correctly?
0: Uh, yes, you are. Let me also uh, put a finer point on that: that there are several hospitals in the state who don't have the margins right now that could afford that kind of a reduction in revenues.
1: Well, direct just a second. About Chris. Chris, you've done a study on the statewide here. Is there a discrepancy between hospitals in the Front Range and rural area? As far as their ability to absorb a 10% reduction?
2: Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. And I think that's one of the main questions that we try to raise is what are the regional implications? We talk a lot about statewide averages or needing this on a statewide basis when in reality where the fundamental structural problems are, are in more, maybe more isolated areas and, and the margins and prices and the cost structure vary quite significantly across the state. Rick, I'd like to go back, if I could, to you. You've got this incredible
1: background in the, in the healthcare industry, and you've spent a lot of time saying, what should we be thinking about if we're going to structure a state option, what should we as a state and the legislators be thinking about the questions they should be asking? Give us some insight as to how you think the process ought to work.
0: The the state has, has focused on driving down rates and increasing the number of insureds by two or three mer- primary things: lower hospital uh, payments, less administration dollars for for health insurance companies. Um, but they're not addressing, or they're not able, not able to address through this report, all the stakeholder interest. And we talked about some of the unintended consequences of, of the various stakeholders, I- including bringing to the table. Uh, the physician groups uh, bringing to the table the 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 pharmacy uh, manufacturers uh, being able to uh, work in a better alignment approach to bring all the parties to the table all the parties who have an interest in decreasing health insurance costs and increasing the number of folks who have insurance uh, we we crafted the paper in such a way as to identify a half dozen or so major stakeholders. And the questions that they should be asking, questions like, I don't get individual health insurance. I get it through my employer. Should I have an interest? Should I have a concern about this So you're talking about the individual now. You're saying the individuals have to get engaged here, and they have to start asking some questions. I believe that's correct, whether they will be directly impacted by a program such as the public option if they buy individual health insurance, or whether they get employer-sponsored coverage. And one of the things that we believe will happen, low revenues to the hospital systems, uh, is they'll shift the cost to the less regulated areas where they can negotiate better contracts with insurance companies. So a likely cost shift into other aspects of the insurance marketplaces like small employers and large employers and self-funded employers. So even if you're not directly impacted uh, because you're not buying individual health insurance and, and you may not be given the opportunity or required to buy a public option, uh, your employer may still have higher costs. Wait a
1: minute. I thought you told me at the beginning of our conversation here that health insurance costs were going up a lot, and I certainly can testify to that with our firm. And what you're suggesting now is with the state option, unintended consequence of this might be that our company health insurance might go up some more because of the cost shifting.
0: Uh that's correct. I believe the uh intent is that they'll drive efficiencies or less margins in the hospital systems. Um, but it's very likely that to the extent that they stay in the businesses they're in now, to stay in the services they're in now, uh, they'll find contracts, they'll find services that are giving them more freedom to 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 increase their cost and cost shift.
1: Okay, but then <laughs> – so what you're telling me is don't go to sleep with the switch if you've got a business and you've got – if you're an individual and or business because you're going to be cost shifting more than you may have expect, anticipated. Let's go to the hospitals. How about the hospitals They're the insurance carriers? It seems to me they have a dog in this fight. So sure.
0: how do we uh, – what should they be asking? I think the uh, we talked about the hospitals, and again, it's similar to the to for the insurance companies. They're going to have to look at their business models uh, and determine whether they are able to to stay in these businesses, stay in these service lines that they're in now. For insurance companies. Uh, many of the insurance companies uh, offering health insurance in Colorado uh, are national insurance companies. And uh, we've seen insurance companies decide not to insure Coloradoans before. They'll have to make business decisions on now whether.
1: Say this again, if you would, just to, for everybody on the podcast, why are the insurance companies maybe having to revise this? What, what, specifically is going to happen to them and their profits?
0: I would say two things. One is directly uh, the portion of their premium that they can uh, retain for administration and margin is going to be reduced from 20 percent of the insurance premium in individual health insurance to 15 percent.
1: So you're really saying their profits are being arbitrarily reduced?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, Further, Uh, the administrative complexity, uh, Colorado is one of 50 states, of course, and, and it's not a major health insurance market compared to maybe some other states. And so, especially the national carriers will have to make a decision on whether they they want to live with the complications and the regulatory burdens, uh, and the uncertainties of the health insurance markets in Colorado. Uh, we, again, we've had. So we
1: may end up with less insurance providers? well,
0: Well, the intent was to increase competition. Uh, I believe we could have less competition if we have firms that decided to, they're in their best business interest uh, not to be an individual market or not to be in Colorado. Well,
1: how does that not happen with hospitals, too?
0: It could, uh, hospitals, uh, again, serve a much broader population of Medicare and the large employers and so on. Uh. Oh, okay.
1: So if there's not that many state option insured, the hospitals may not be as impacted.
0: Yes, however, and we spent a minute talking about, the state's been very clear that while they're making these changes right now through the individual health insurance market, uh it's their intent and it's their hope that the public option could be expanded to the small employer market and it could be a program adopted by large employers as well.
1: Hold on just a second. You're not just talking about a need for the uninsured at the present time and those that may feel like there's too much cost. You're talking about a program that could envelop a larger part of the population?
0: Yes. The State Division of Insurance uh, has made it clear that uh, while this is initially for the individual health insurance market, uh, they like to see it and they have the opportunity to expand it to the small employer market that they regulate, but also the intent and the desire Is that large employers, uh, even those who are self-funded and not governed by the state, large employers would find this to be attractive. So it may start as a small set of patients that hospitals uh, may get lower payments for, um, but it easily could grow. And in some ways, it's intended to grow to a much larger population.
1: Chris, I mean, if you take the dynamics of what Rick has just described, what are we talking about as far as what could evolve here? And has your study looked at that? What is is your sense as to the
2: kind of the end game that we might be facing here. That potential for the public option to scale and for a larger and larger adoption, let's say, from what the current coverage might be is exactly what we tried to frame out and model in our analysis in early September. Now, again, recognizing we don't have final recommendation, but depending on how far You were to push this, these rate setting mechanisms and some of the policy mechanisms to require insurance carriers to um, provide this. The economic impacts could be quite significant. So we suggested as our, in our initial analysis looked at the potential to see a net reduction in medical revenue, meaning the amount of um, expenditure going through the healthcare system. Uh, of between four hundred and fifty to close to one point five billion dollars in sort of total reduction, now okay, that now represents that, a savings
1: that that okay that was based upon the best information we had at that time, right. We still don't have a bill exactly, but I don't mean to be suggesting a task for you, but as once we get a bill, you're saying that we have the means. <laughs> To possibly figure out what would be the impact that you're describing, it's
2: on our list to study absolutely. Earl.
1: Okay, so you're telling me that the healthcare industry, if it's going to have less, it's going to have a revenue impact. That means there's going to be people
2: unemployed. Again, depending on what we see in this legislation, our hope would be to do an economic impact analysis as we've um, done across a range of topics, but to be able to put a finer point on on these impacts, again, assuming the state doesn't necessarily come out with their own analysis.
1: Even if the state comes out with their own analysis, I would guess that you'll be taking a look at it and and seeing if it's something that we feel that, uh, you know, that the analysis has been as thorough as we would hope. Yeah, Is I'm sure. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Well, it seems to me that uh, even though we have a reasonably good grasp of what has been proposed, there's a lot yet to be determined as to what the impact could be, First of all, what could the state option be? And then what could the impact be? And how do we how do we stay engaged? How do we keep informed and stay engaged as this process move us along. Rick, help us out. Sure. You're an expert in the industry.
0: I think as an engaged public and as citizens, um, uh, whether we're directly impacted or indirectly impacted, I think uh, talking to our legislators, letting them know our, our concerns around the program and how we as individuals or we as businesses could have uh, unintended consequences or even intended consequences from this action. It um, is a very important agenda item for the Polis Administration. It's one of the major, if not the major. Focus of the 2020 legislative session. Staying informed through organizations uh, like the Common Sense Policy Roundtable, working with your legislators, understanding the bills when they do get introduced. I would also say that the stakeholders, such as the hospital groups and the insurance carriers, aren't sitting silent on this either. They're also uh, raising concerns and uh, recommending alternatives, or, or talking about how they would like to have certain adjustments to to the recommendations. Uh, So working through business interests and employers as well, I think, will be important.
1: Rick, I I want to push you on a point. Um, How about collaboration of the the folks that are kind of the stakeholders in this? Can you give us a 30-second summary Mm -hmm. of what would the collaboration be that you would hope that we would promote?
0: There have been uh, efforts in Colorado, and there have been efforts right now in other states looking at uh, all the stakeholders, stakeholders coming to the table to help manage uh the cost of care and increase the number of insureds. Uh, they oftentimes come under the banner of total cost of care discussions. And whether it's the physicians who are admitting patients and writing the prescriptions, uh, whether it's the pharmaceutical manufacturers and, and, and the costs that we have as U.S. citizens, as well as employers and, and the consumer groups, bringing them to the table to collaborate and to have similar alignments on what their objectives are and how best to achieve them. Uh, I will add that we've seen some models in some parts of the state already of what that collaborative could look like. In Summit County, uh, the Peak Health Alliance has come together uh, based upon citizens in that county, interest in that county, uh, to work with their hospitals, work with their physicians and, and individuals and, and consumer groups to bring about a program that's been adopted January 1st of this year to present a, a more cost-effective uh, network of, of health care providers.
1: Well, it seems to me, Rick, that you've pointed out that uh Well, you and Chris, this may be well-intended. I personally couldn't argue with what we're trying to accomplish with the state option, but there may be some unintended consequences. And Rick, you've just suggested, and Chris, that, hey, there are questions that need to be answered. And as a part of the questions being answered, collaboration could maybe help us get to the point where, if we're going to do the state option or something similar to what the state option is trying to accomplish, uh, we could come up with a unique Colorado answer, and maybe we already have a Colorado answer here that we can look at and see if we can learn from it and You just mentioned that with it's already occurring up in Summit county is that correct
0: uh that's correct um We should maybe also make sure we mention that that the public option is really quite unprecedented. There are some other states who have discussed it, and some that are are just now leaving the drawing table. Um but Colorado is is one of the first and uh certainly of this this ilk, uh this this type of public option to bring it forward. So we really don't have other states to look at or, or other program to look like look at uh that will give us some guidance on what what the results could be.
1: But we do have some examples of non state options
0: we, we that have resolved
1: the same issue. Is that is that a fair statement?
0: That's right. We've got community interests who have come together. And, and, but I think it also Earl speaks to because this is bold and unprecedented. Let's get the right people at the table who will talk about what their interests are, talk about what their their opportunities are, how how they are part of the the challenge and part of the solution.
1: Rick, Chris, thank you so much. I have a hunch this is maybe chapter one and uh, a few chapters in trying to resolve this issue. Certainly so. Thank,
2: thank you, you very much, Earl.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsensepolicyroundtable.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on Podcatchers Everywhere or on our website in the News tab under CSPR Podcast. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communication. This has been a production of the Common Sense Policy Roundtable.